Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Desperately Seeking Entertainment Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mr. Chris Peterson, founder, editor-in-chief of Onstage Blog. Thrilled that you're joining us today. And with me, as always, is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir? Hey, what's up, Chris? What's up, people around the world? Are you ready to dig into some entertainment this week? I am jacked out of my mind. We got some crazy stuff happening around the internets and the world. And uh, Chris, do you want to announce our, our little special guest today? I mean, this is a surprise. This is a pleasant surprise. Folks, we are joined for the first time ever by a, a third co-host this week. I'm I'm really excited about this. Mr. Josh Tonra, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me, Ben. Yeah. Good to hear from you again. Yes. Good to talk to you. It's only been, it's been, what, like four or five days? Yeah, but a lot, a lot has happened in my life and your life. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, for, for real, so much has happened. You're um, different I, people now. Yeah, right. I, yeah, I know exactly. I mean, before we get into our, um, our discussion on our weekly, you know, news stories, I just want to talk about some, some things, you know, that. So Chris and Josh, you guys are both Sox fans. Um, I just read this one hour ago that John Farrell. Uh, ha- is enjoying a post Red Sox career as a lobster fisherman. Did you guys know that? <laughs> Did not know that. <laughs> he says that he wakes up in the morning at three eight fifteen in the morning. Um, he doesn't. He falls asleep before the end of the game. Um, he just said that you know it's his dad did it and it's peaceful and it's a completely different world out on the water. Josh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, as far as Red Sox managers go, John Farrell is an excellent lobster fisherman. Uh, that's my feelings on him. And despite the fact that they won a World Series in 2013, despite him as a manager, I mean, you could see his level of success once he moved on to uh, to Toronto, and he didn't have David Ortiz hitting 700 in the World Series. Uh, what a difference that makes uh, for a manager. <laughs> that's very true. My question is, like, does he have, like, an unhealthy – um, uh, faithfulness in in his boats and his equipment. That he's just sticking sticking with his boats and his nets too long. Um, <laughs> no, that that would be the greatly little of lobster fishing. <laughs> there you go. Leaves his nets in in the eighth inning. <laughs> yeah, there's, it, 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 the the ship is leaking in all directions. But I think we're still gonna stick with it for a couple more hours. <laughs> You know what? But good, good for him. That's great. I mean, you know, just, just whatever you want to do, just stay away from my socks. That's that's okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, you know, I'm glad he found his true calling. Right. You know, and you know, I, you know, I was gonna make a joke about him being either Shaw, Scheider, or Dreyfus, but he's like a fourth member of that crew, and he just, who kind of just doesn't give a shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to put it. That's a very good way to put it. Oh man! Oh well, that was a nice kickoff, Ben. Thank Did you, you like that. that? Yeah, I knew you guys were both Sox fans, so <laughs> it's like a, oh, it's a good, like a breaking news uh, here on the on the podcast, folks. If this is your first time listening to Desperately Seeking Entertainment, first of all, welcome to the party. Secondly, what we like to do on this sh- show 
is basically dive into all things entertainment, things that have happened over the past couple of days, weeks, months, whatever it is, uh, and basically discuss it here on the pod. However, we do not know what each other are bringing to the table. Now, usually, Ben and I will usually do our top five, but since Josh is with us this week, we're going to cut it down a little bit for the sake of time. I don't want this to be, uh, you know, a four-hour podcast. As much as you know, as much fun as that would be, um, you know, I want to keep things you know timely in a way. So instead of doing five stories this week, we're going to do three stories per person this week, and then of course we're going to go YouTubing. My favorite segment, All right, baby? There you That's go. So let's let's take let's kick things off with our guest of honor, Josh. Let's why don't you kick things off, sir? What is your number one of your three for this week? So my number one story, um, I've always thought, you know, as I've listened to the cast, that that uh, one of the things that you guys cover a lot of topics and it's great, but one of the things that that's kind of missing uh, is is books, whether it's uh, books that are coming out or books that have been, you know, maybe fell by the the wayside, something you missed and. So I was trying to think of something to tie that in today um, and, you know, woke up this morning, popped on the news. And one of the stories that popped up was uh, that today is, uh, would have been Anthony Bourdain's uh, 63rd birthday. And so uh, two of his friends, Eric Rippert and Jose Andres uh, were uh, trying to put together something uh, this year to, uh, to make it uh, Bourdain day. And so the hashtag Bourdain day, Bourdain Day uh, was trending, uh, and it was sort of uh, calling on everybody to uh, to make a toast today to Anthony Bourdain to uh, to go out to eat, to get out of your comfort zone, and and do something different. And um, and so, um, have either of you ever read uh, Kitchen Confidential or any of uh, uh, Anthony Bourdain's books? I haven't read them. I listened to one of them on um, Audible. It was, and I can't remember the, which one it was, but it was excellent. It was excellent. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've never, I've never listened. I've never read the books, but I've almost watched every single incarnation of him on television. Like mm. I think I've seen every single episode of everything. And so, I, so I've done that too. Um, I read Kitchen Confidential about two years ago. Um, and got it from the library and then immediately bought a copy of it that I've shared with other people. Um, and, and it's a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, uh, it, it's kind of about his life and what got him into, uh, uh, into cooking. It's like, you know, sort of a deep dive into the restaurant industry. I mean, famously it tells you why you don't go for Sunday brunch and order the fish, uh, that comes in fresh on Thursdays. <laughs> Like never had the the bouillon base, but but what it is, it's a really great story about like you know the the people who work in the kitchens, um, uh, the people who cook your food, the the you know it's a, a warrior culture. Um, it's a really really interesting read, and and whether you read the book first and then watch his shows, or whether you uh, watch the shows and then uh, read the book. Um, it, it tells you a lot about the guy. Um, I recently just watched uh, the um, the El Bully episode of No Reservations, which yeah. is my all-time favorite episode uh, of the show. Uh, the Cape Cod one is really good also. Um, but uh, I know when I'm done today, I'm going downstairs uh, to the bar, the hotel bar at the Hyatt Regency, Hoover, Alabama, and getting a glass of Four Roses on the Rocks and making a toast for uh, for Bourdain Day. Here, here. Yeah, I mean, just just a great kind of world 
traveler. And actually, you know, I had a couple stories picked out, but um, I wasn't going to talk about him. But, you know, just kind of <clears throat> really cool words around the world. I know that all a lot of famous people that were on his uh, show, all the different incarnations, just said that he made the world feel a little smaller in the sense that he would travel to so many places and people would experience the world through his eyes. And, you know, we live in such a xenophobic time where just people are scared to like leave their states and countries and stuff. And he was just, he, he always has been a world traveler and just here, here, like one of my favorite episodes, I think it's Massachusetts or is it the Cape Cod one where he talked about working in uh, P town and, um, you know, his uh, story with drugs and he goes through like all the rural communities or suburban communities of Massachusetts and talking about addiction and stuff. And actually, I've showed that video at the clinic during drug and alcohol class just because it talks about addiction and sponsorship and all that thing. So uh, I can't say enough. And that's such a great topic to bring up. So here's to Anthony Bourdain here, here. Definitely. Yeah. So quick, quick little side note, and I don't want to bog us down too much in it, but in that Cape, that, that Cape Cod episode is the same one. It's the Massachusetts. Okay, that's Cape Cod. Okay, yep. We watched it recently, and our kids were in the room, and he was, part of it, they show like, his home movies from when he was in P-Town, mm -hmm. and John Waters is in it. And <laughs> so, my, so Kelly and I were both like, oh, my God, there's John Waters. And so Tilly and Lucy both asked, like, oh, who's John Waters? And how do you explain a John Waters to a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old? Oh, you just say, in two years, you guys will sleep over Uncle Ben's house, and he's going to show you pink flamingos. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, famous last words right there. Awesome. Love it. Awesome. Good stuff. Way to kick off the show. Yes, yes. Ben, Thank you. Ben, why don't you go next, my friend? Okay. Um, we're going to go out like gangbusters. Um. I got I got some really big stories. Um, here's one. So I want to talk about Martin Scorsese's documentary called The Rolling Thunder Review about Bob Dylan's uh, 1976 tour. Um, it features a lot of famous people, a lot of musicians and a lot of footage from that tour and the ongoing subsequent tours. Joan Baez is in the movie. Bob Dylan is interviewed. Um, just a lot of different people. Uh, have you guys seen that yet? Not yet. No, I have not seen it yet either. It's in the queue. Okay. So, but the reason why I wanted to bring it up to you guys and it's fine if you haven't seen it, I, you know, I, <clears throat> part of this pod is, you know, there's so much content out there. It's hard to keep track, but I watched it with my parents and we watched this thing. It was it's great, by the way. Everyone should watch this. It's it's awesome. It's kind of one of those snapshot in time kind of things. You get to see a lot of stuff, and it's just really interesting. Uh, Ruben Carter's in the documentary, so it's just it's crazy. Um, but anyway, there are some things apparently that are a thousand percent made up. Martin Scorsese and Bob Dylan got together and made up stories that are totally a thousand percent fake. And I'm not going to spoil what they are, but there's people and celebrities in the documentary that claim that they were doing X, Y, Z during the tour and on tour. And I've read um, in articles and IMDb uh, trivia that that did not happen whatsoever. So what do you guys think about a documentary filmmaker, whether it be Scorsese or anyone actually making up false things for the documentary so it makes it more spicy or dramatic? <laughs> huh? Yeah, a documentary at that point, doesn't it? Yeah, it's kind of and actually people 
have been calling it a mockumentary, almost like Spinal Tap. And that's fine if that's what they want to call it. Like, you know, if they want to do go that route, I'm I'm all for it. But yeah, that's weird. I mean, I remember, I don't know if you guys, do you remember the documentary Hoop Dreams back in like the, the 90s? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There was like a myth that like, um, you know, some of the stuff that in that wasn't true. And there's always been like controversy about that, that the accuracy of that documentary. And, um, and yeah, this, I don't know. Just, I think it, if you're going to do a documentary, it's like, no, no, you got to, it's got to be based in fact. You can make opinions about facts and things like that. You can certainly make it an opinionated documentary, but I don't know. Inventing history for it, that just seems weird to me. I don't no, know. No, this is, and it's not just, I know what you're saying, but this is, they're totally making up facts. And I just thought it was such an interesting thing in this kind of time frame where we have so many media sources that we really can't trust sometimes, you know, as the, I hate to call him a president, but as the president says, fake news and stuff like that, we have so many kind of um, media sources. It's hard to tell what's an opinion and what's fact. And this thing totally presents as fact. And even just putting, uh, you know, uh, a, a film by Martin Scorsese kind of gives it validity. And then you get to the end of it, you do a, like just a barely any research, and you just find out all these things were not true. It was really interesting. Mm. I, I mean, I, I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say that's weird. <laughs> the whole thing's weird. Yeah. To me. Like I, 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 there are times, you know, there's documentaries, and the ones of uh, Michael Moore come to mind. Uh, where has been there's been you know accusations that things were uh, not even not fake but staged, and it's part of I, it, I wouldn't even it's it's not a fake documentary at that point it's almost like Gonzo journalism you know you may, putting yourself right. into the story making yourself part of the story I have no problem with that at all um, and I'm not going to turn on Martin Scorsese for this um, but I'm a little now I'm really interested to see this documentary even more and then read up on what's what's real and what's not well you know and to their credit so throughout the and this isn't a spoiler alert but throughout the whole thing they have these kind of stylistic shots of silent film um shorts of people doing magic tricks through the whole thing and bob dylan talks about how he wore white face during the whole thing and wanted to kind of fool people into everything and even my dad had some really interesting insight and said that um, at the time when he was so my dad was like a teenager at the time, he and he's a big Bob Dylan fan. He he was saying he was saying while we were watching it what albums the songs were on. Um, he was saying that people had thought that Bob Dylan had lost his mind. So there is a kind of tinge of that, like it syncs up to what they were trying to do with this kind of Rolling Thunder review thing is kind of do something different and kind of. I don't know, shake people up a little. So, I mean, it, it, it's along the vein. So I, I, when you guys see it, I just love to hear your opinion. And I get what you're saying that it's, you know, there, but there are certain things that are a thousand percent false. And in my head, I, I was kind of like, there's so many interesting things that are going on that it didn't need it. If you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like there were mm -hmm. so many things that they could have talked about. Like there's one shot in the movie. Okay. Check this out. Okay. There's one shot in the movie. There's Joan Baez and Bob Dylan and, um, just and they're all jamming in a house and there's this man in the background. He looks up at the camera and kind of gets out of frame and me and my dad being giant nerds go, Oh my God, that was Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't even reference it. 
they just it showed it's totally Gordon Lightfoot on Gord's gold, like 1970s. I go, my God, that was Gordon Lightfoot. And me and him are like, yeah, that was totally Gordon Lightfoot. I didn't research it. I mean, I just know in my head that was Gordon Lightfoot just hanging out in the background. And I'm like, they didn't even mention him to have him for an interview. What's Gordon Lightfoot doing? Just get him up there, talk about the review and the you know what I mean? I, I don't know. There were so many things that they didn't touch upon that they didn't need to do that. I, I, I'm kind of conflicted on the whole thing. It's, it was still good. I mean, I might watch it again. That's, that's how kind of good it is. But it still was like a weird kind of vibe. So, I hear what you're saying. Wow, that, yeah. that's nuts. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Um, all right. Well, let's let's move on. Um, so for my first pick, guys, uh, I don't know if you saw the news, but the new Batman film is coming out soon. Um, it's, it's, you know, starting production. Things are rolling on it. Um, it's called the Batman. That's all we know really about it. Um, and they, they decided to announce the casting of Batman and lo and behold, they chose twilight star, Robert Pattinson. And this was a surprising pick. What, what I also didn't realize until later on was that uh, X-Men star Nicholas Holt was the runner-up, so to speak. Um, and you could definitely say, like, as, as soon as this was announced, social media kind of went on fire. Like, oh, my God, Robert Pattinson and blah, blah, blah. And, and it, there was a lot of obvious, you know, backlash at first. Right. Um, there were obviously some people that were like, no, right on. Like, have you seen some of his latest work and things like that? But it definitely sparked an interesting thought in my head of – you have some of these actors that do, you know, I'll call it an iconic role. I mean, it was a it was a pop culture phenomenon. The Twilight series was a you know pop culture phenomenon, um, and for some reason, in some people's eyes, they, they can't get past that. And um, so when he does, you know, when it is announced, you know, what ten years later that he is going to be doing uh, Batman, you know, he's he's having trouble gain, getting that like legitimate, you know. Um, that backing, so to speak, the people, you know, saying that, you know, his validation, so to speak. So I wanted to ask you guys, like, what do you think of, first of all, what do you think about Bat- Pattinson as Batman, number one? But number two, how do you feel about guys who, who might have had those like heartthrobby roles in, in the past, but then are trying to legitimize their career, so to speak? Josh, let me start with you. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is going to work uh, 100%. I can see nothing but success uh, for, for the casting decision. Um, I know that the only thing, the, the only other thing that I know him from, uh, uh, him being Robert Pattinson, uh, other than like the tabloid stuff with, uh, it was, uh, Kristen Stewart, uh, who he was dating. And ironically enough, like the fucking president just keeps commenting on that relationship just from now until eternity. He keeps, uh, he keeps doing it. He was in one of the Harry Potter movies. He was in uh, Goblet of yeah, Fire. Order. Yep, yep, Goblet of yeah, Fire. He played, uh, he played Ced- Cedric Diggory. He was pretty good uh, in, in, you know, in an otherwise uh, uh, not, that, uh, not that great movie. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I'm going to go see it because it's a Batman movie, and I, I you know, definitely I'm, I'm in for it. My expectations are uh, for him in this one. Um, and and I, he he made his money doing you know doing the the Twilight thing. He he made him he made a name for himself. I don't know if it's something that he's ever going to be able to come out of the shadow of. Mm. Yeah, Ben, what do you think? Well, you know, it's an interesting point about typecasting. Um, 
that that's what we're really talking about. You know, Batman's, you know, Roger Moore getting out of, you know, James Bond afterwards or um, whether, you know, James Bond is a giant character that people try to get out of. And, you know, I've I've almost talked about that, how Daniel Craig has tried to get out of Batman and he kind of can't, you know, he can't get out of this thing. And he keeps he, even though it like in between Batman films, he's saying like the most hateful things about <laughs> the makers of the films and stuff. I mean, you mean James Bond. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. He's, he's like back doing another one. It's just crazy. Um, right. but you know what? This is such a missed opportunity. I don't know about you guys, but I watched all of Gotham. Did you guys watch that show? Mm-hmm. I watched a lot of it. Yep. That kid in Gotham is acting his ass off. And he is age appropriate to take on the bat suit right now. What a missed opportunity. A great actor. He fits the role. Just slide him right into the suit. The only reason why they're casting this guy, Robin Pattinson, is because it's going to make a headline, make some buzz, and it's going to hopefully sell tickets. But here's the problem with that is it might sell tickets initially after that first weekend. But, you know, when the reviews come in and it's a terrible movie, <laughs> you ruined another reboot of another franchise. And now we have to wait another couple years till they get enough money. So the kid that plays freaking Bruce Wayne in Gotham can just do that. I mean, that's my thought. That, it, call me call me crazy. But that kid was awesome in that show. He was definitely awesome. I think the problem with Gotham is it just got terrible writing. Um, I would say – it was batshit. That show was yeah. nuts. <laughs> it it was all over the place. I mean, and I think you're right though. I think if not that kid, at least you know somewhere around that age. I mean, I I have no idea what they're going to do with this movie. I don't think DC Comics knows what they're going to do with this movie. I don't think Mar- Warner Brothers knows what they're going to do. I you know I think because Marvel has has disrupted the landscape as much as they have, the studio is kind of just throwing stuff against the wall just to see if it sticks. And that it just the whole DC universe just feels lost. So yeah, yeah, and, and also you know, it, and if not that kid from Gotham, the reason why Gotham kind of worked for me is there was a bunch of unknowns in the show. The guy that played oh. Penguin, the guy that played Riddler, there were a bunch of unknowns. Yeah. So it was it, they made themselves, and they they were like, oh god, I'm not like a name already. I'm not like an icon from another franchise. I better act my ass off in the show and make, you know, the guy that plays penguin is so awesome. Like when I saw him in John wick three, I was like, Ooh, it's the guy that played penguin. Like, <laughs> I lost my mind. I lost my mind when I saw him. I was like, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> like, and now I'm like a fan of his it, just because he's a great actor. He was on Stern. It was a great interview. And just, I, I don't know. I just like it when someone takes a chance on an unknown, if you already have a franchise, that's enough. Sometimes you don't need mm. to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes you just need to, Hire the guy that's on your set, even if it's George Lazenby. You know what I mean? So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Josh, what's your number two, my man? All right. So um, I may have alluded to this before, uh, but not come right out and said it. But uh, what I do when I'm not on this podcast is uh, I, I'm a lawyer. I'm actually an ADA uh, up in New York. So one of the things that uh, that, that I follow – pretty closely just from my law school days is whatever's going on with the, the U S Supreme court. Um, and I know Chris, that you, um, a, a lot of times the, the entertainment and the law will intersect on this podcast when we're talking about, uh, issues of copyright mm-hmm. come up with, uh, with place. So there was a decision that came down from the Supreme court that dovetails into this. It doesn't deal with, uh, copyright, but it deals with uh, trademark. 
Um, and do you guys know what the difference between trademark and copyright is? A little bit, but give us oh. like the give us like the brief description, please. So, so copy the the very very shorthand of it is is uh, copyright uh, has to do with uh, content um, ideas um, words on the page, where trademark has to do more with uh, symbols and slogans. Gotcha. I think that's an easy way to easy way to put it. So the Supreme Court made a decision uh, yesterday. Uh, the the name of the case is IANCU. It's actually an acronym, I-A-N-C-U, versus uh, Brunetti. And it had to do with the registration of trademarks that were considered to be scandalous or immoral. Um, and I'm, it's, we're going to get blue for a second because of the, the name of this company. Uh, it's, a, it's a clothing company spelt, uh, the name is S-U-C-T. So... Fucked is the name okay. of the. I've I've seen those shirts or what? Yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So the the guy um, the guy who runs the company is an asshole, uh, <laughs> and he looks like like if Chris Stapleton and Rob Zombie had like an emaciated forty year old son. <laughs> nice. So nice. He, he so he wanted to trademark his you know, hit all of his fucked merchandise and, you know, fucked his free speech and free speech is fucked. Um, and again, I'm not saying the F word. This is F-U-C-T. F-U-C-T. Right. Yeah, you right. saying the word, yeah. It's like Sofa so, King. Sofa King. So the, <laughs> so the United States Supreme Court uh, issued a decision basically declaring un- unconstitutional the Langham Act, uh, which kind of set forth what could be what could be allowed as a uh, as a trademark and it, it invalidated the uh, trademarks that could be considered scandalous or immoral saying that that's too subjective a standard um, it goes to uh, it, it's legislating ideas basically and what one person finds objectionable and what another you know another wouldn't um, and it was like a pretty there was it was a split decision which doesn't really matter uh, as much um, Judge Alito had a, like a concurring opinion where he basically said, uh, "This is stupid, uh, but it's right." You know, that I can't believe I can't believe we're wasting our time with this. And, um, but it, it brought to mind. So there were two cases where this had this had happened um, to 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 bring this uh, this constitutional challenge. The first one was uh, it was Mattal versus Tom. T-A-M. Uh, it was. It started off as Lee versus Tom, which it came out of the Fourth Circuit a couple years ago, um, where it was an all-Asian punk rock band who had named themselves the Slants, which of course, you know, it can be uh, an offensive. Uh, uh, it can be an offensive nickname, um, but that's they adopted it, and that's what they wanted it to be. Um, right. And it when it was initially. Bard saying you know, this is a an ad hominem attack against a um, you know a, a, a group of uh, people um, that you know immediately a challenge was brought against the Washington Redskins and they were denied trademark protection for their symbol and famously it led to one of the all-time great South Park episodes where 
<laughs> they started up a company and just named themselves the Washington Redskins, and Dan Snyder had to come in and try to buy it back from them and everything. Uh, it was awesome. And so it, it's one of those things that will fly under the radar, but, you know, for, from now until eternity, the, you know, the fucked case before the Supreme Court uh, will be a landmark decision for trademark and, uh, and copyright law. That is excellent. That is so great. I mean, what would you call that? Would it be Supreme Court v. Fucked? Uh, no, it's it's Iancu versus Brunetti. That is the oh, name of the that's thing. not fun. yeah, that's, that's less fun. But it's like it's so, but but it's like uh, you know, in in constitutional law, you have cases where you have the parties' names, but they famously uh, become you know more than the names of the parties in, involved. Um, you know. Uh, Brown versus the Board of Education, right, right. you know, or or uh, um, Loving versus Virginia is a famous one. Uh, but uh, I, I really, truly hope that this is the fucked case and it gets cited to just over and over again. It's going to be amazing. I have I have nothing to add to that because that was an, an incredible explanation of everything. But that's amazing. That's that was amazing. amazing, Josh. That was great. But we do talk about. Well, copyright and, that's what, and trademark. That's what I thought of it. It's such yeah. a and, and look, I, I mean, clothing it, it is a part of pop culture. Um, you know, there's uh, in every uh, you, you pick up a copy of Entertainment Weekly, and there's always like a style section. It is part of it. Um, so I just I don't know. I thought you guys would get a kick out of that too. That was Damn. that was awesome. But you know what? Like, it, it kind of speaks to like getting like serious about you know uh, things being. Um, kind of uh, offensive and stuff but uh, so josh all right correct me if i'm wrong so like the movie deep throat which is really famous right so something that is quote offensive could they uh, the movie deep throat has a copyright right of course right of course so you can't just like take it and like make spin-offs and parodies of it you have to get the permission of the makers of that film you can't just keep making other ones so is that pertaining to something like that but you're talking about trademarks as far as like clothes like right now i'm sitting in my man cave and i have like the symbol of like the uh that's on the truck driver's like truck pads you know like the chick <laughs> that's like mm -hmm. laying on her back is that a trademark thing or is that an offensive thing no, that's a trademark thing. And basically what the Supreme Court was saying is that if one person finds it offensive and another one doesn't, the government can't really get into legislating that. Now, there, wow. there's, still, there's still a little bit of gray area left um, for you know, things that would be you're trying to trademark something that would be an attack on somebody else. Um, Got, okay, are, gotcha, gotcha. There are things that aren't protected under the First Amendment. Um, there's less than, you know, there, there's kind of, uh, the jurisprudence of the Supreme Court, particularly this one is leaning towards, you know, less, uh, less restrictions on free speech, which is, which is awesome. There's a trade-off, you know, of course, because, right. you know, if a kid wears a, if, uh, you know, somebody in deacons and going into kindergarten and somebody sends their kid to school in a fuck t-shirt, like now you're going to have to explain that. I mean, Deacon right, will probably exactly. no, he's already heard that word like 10 million times. Yeah, he's seen the Warriors. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's crazy, Good Josh. Good, Good story. Uh, yeah, awesome. and that, was, that was yesterday. It just came down yesterday. It was awesome. That's crazy. So wait, split decision meaning what? So you had, um, you had, 
I can't remember who wrote the opinion, the majority opinion. I think it was Gorsuch. No, gotcha. uh, Gorsuch or Kavanaugh wrote the wrote the prime the 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 majority opinion, and there were five judges that signed on to it, and then you had uh, one judge who was concurring. That was Alito, and then you had two judges that were. I got my math wrong. There were basically two judges that were dissenting in part and affirming in part, and then you had two judges who would have would have affirmed uh, the decision. So that's where you get a split decision. You never, you very rarely have a nine nothing decision anymore. Um, so you had five basically saying the law should be declared unconstitutional in whole, and uh, and that was enough to make the decision. You know, I. When it comes to obscenity and it comes to things being offensive, you know, I, of course, I want to side with, you know, we should ban things that are hate speech from, you know, like the Klan or something like that. That's like, you know, directed towards a group and we're like, you know, but they have to, it's the First Amendment and you have to let them march and stuff like that. But as far as things being offensive, like, you know, pornography, <clears throat> You you have to allow it because you can always cite uh, it is a is a thing of creativity. Without you know the early seventies pornography that we had you know uh, of you know something weird video movies of stag films or Deep Throat or Behind the Green Door or The Devil and Miss Jones we would never have a very funny scene in the Big Lebowski called Log Jamming. <laughs> <laughs> And so I don't know, like, you know, from something that blossoms, quote, pornography, quote, uh, blossoms the most funny thing of all time. So I don't know. That's where I stand. Yeah, it, it is. I, when we get into, you know, the constitutionality of a lot of these things, it's it's, you know, it, it is one of those like, OK, it's either everything or nothing. You know, it's like, do you want right. free speech or do you, do you not want free speech? Right. Um, I, could, I could see like someone like being offended by swearing, like. banning the whole movie the big lebowski you know what i mean like saying like you know that's offensive to me all those f-bombs in that movie but it's one of the greatest movies ever so you know i it it, you it's a slippery slope kind of thing i I could see where these laws are going to start coming down like in this era too josh that's that's crazy so I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this a little bit, and I, I yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to bog us down too much, but no, no, it's a know, good topic. Famously, in in the early 1970s, uh, there were obscenity cases just on this point where you could arrest somebody uh, for selling pornography. Um, this is uh, not as similar to, to the the case of the state of Ohio against Larry Flint. Right. Um, well, and th- and then didn't didn't this famously? I mean, they talk about a lot about this in the show, The Deuce, the first season. Yes. Yep. So, so predating that, there was a case uh, that went to the Supreme Court where they were, you know, basically trying to decide what the definition of obscenity was, and um, it out of it grew this this quote that's uh, it's it was Justice Potter Stewart, who was a I believe a Southern gentleman tiny old jurist um, who, uh, you know, the, the coined the famous phrase, um, I can't tell you what pornography is, but I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still like, and again, that grew out of a Supreme Court case. I think that grew out of, uh, out of argument. And, and that's kind of, that's still kind of where we at. And like the reason that you can't really legislate this, um, right. unless it's 
unless it's depicting something that is itself illegal, uh, if it's a depiction of a murder, if it's a depiction of child sexual abuse, I mean, these are things that can be legislated because it's a crime in and of themselves. But amongst, you know, consenting adults or, you know, somebody, somebody will find, you know, picture the most offensive movie you can. I mean, you were talking about Pink Flamingos before. <laughs> Is somebody going to find something redeeming about divine eating dog shit in a movie? You know, no, but... I can. A, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, we can't take away your right to watch that. Thank no, you. No, Damn no, right. No, should <laughs> If you want to watch, if you want to watch that garbage, you can. It's your right. <laughs> love it. Oh, I love it. Oh, fantastic, Ben. What's your number two, my man? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, so this was off of. Um, so you know, I get a lot of my stories from a lot of different um, online magazines, and um, you know, magazines turned online. And so this is off of. Uh, What's the name of the pot, the web is Joe Blow's Movie Emporium News. It's a great little website. And this is talking about an interview that Mark Hamill had says, and he said uh, he hopes he's done with Star Wars after Rise of Skywalker. Um, he said in, a, in an interview, I hope so. This is my last one. I had closure with the last one. The fact that I'm involved in any capacity is only because of the peculiar aspect of the Star Wars mythology where if you were a Jedi, you would get to come back and make a curtain call as a Force ghost. So me and Chris have spoke a lot about Star Wars, Josh. I would mm -hmm. love to hear your take on your expectations and what do you think the future of the Star Wars cinematic universe is? Oh, my God. I knew, yeah, I knew this. <laughs> I knew this would come up too. You know why I was going to talk about it, baby. It, it would be problematic for me because I know that Chris did not like uh, the Last Jedi. Oh no! Uh, yes, I, and and I, I for all the reasons that you've said before on the podcast, and I understand them a hundred percent. And albeit I have not watched it in a while, um, I did enjoy it because there are characters in the story that I could I could tune out a lot of it um, and just kind of focus on the characters that I still enjoyed and and. I did like the stuff with Ray and Kylo Ren. Um, I'm deeply concerned about this movie because there wasn't a direction for this entire trilogy at the outset. Um, in the in the same way that there was with the like the MCU, where you had you know 20 movies to get to Infinity War and then Endgame with a unified idea uh behind it um and it's not like with the original trilogy that george lucas had that plan either um he may have had the ideas in his head but he didn't have a whole trilogy sketched out right and i think it's really clear that whatever was going on with you know what jj abrams wanted to do with this this trilogy um that ryan johnson took it in a totally different direction than everybody wanted it to or everybody uh, expected it to, um, which is unfortunate. I, you guys have talked about this movie at length on the podcast, and, and I really like Ryan Johnson. I, I, I mean, um, and I, I wasn't a, a huge fan. Uh, everybody loves Looper. That's not a, I wasn't a huge fan of that, but I loved Brick. 
Rick's one of my all-time mm. favorite movies. Oh, I love mm-hmm. love both of those movies, actually. Like, but like, Brick's like a top fifteen movie for me. Like a film noir movie, but you know, basically the Maltese Falcon, like shot in a high school. Like, right. how fucking great is that? Yeah, I uh, love I love all the flashback scenes. I love that movie. He's mm. and, and yeah, the acting in that is out of control. So and and so taking yeah, I'm actually surprised that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt didn't show up in in his full form in uh, in the Last Jedi. I think he he was a voice actor for uh, for one of the CGI characters. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. That's awesome. Yeah, in the in the casino, which I know Ben, that's your favorite. Of the well, there's there's scenes in movies that are iconic, <laughs> and then there's the casino scene in Last Jedi that I've watched many times on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's like uh, it's like the Rick's Cantina scenes in Casablanca. I mean, they're, right? They're like just... when I die, I'm gonna say you know casino scene like I would say <laughs> Rosebud. <laughs> I think you've never described it as 45 minutes of your life that you'll never get back, but I know that you feel about it that way. Yeah, I feel it in my heart. <laughs> I mean, here's my thing with the. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's great that. You know, one of your stars, one of the most iconic, you know, science fiction actors of all time, uh, is basically saying like, "Thank God I'm done with this shit." Like, it's like that's not good. Like, it it just and, and like you said, Josh, I think the problem that you have with this with this entire trilogy is basically, you know, Disney paid what three billion for this thing, uh, yep. pla- placed it in the hands of Kathleen Kennedy and Lawrence Kasdan, and said you need to make a trilogy, <laughs> like, um, at least a trilogy, you know? And, high water, you need a trilogy. <laughs> exactly. And it just, I don't know what the thinking was in terms of like, hey, let's switch up directors. Let's switch up writers. Let's, you know, just, it should have been either JJ for all three or someone else for all three. I think when you divide it up between directors, people bring in their different visions, their different ideas, and that's exactly what you saw happen with Last Jedi. Uh, it just it just felt like a completely different, you know, it almost felt like you're in a different universe, you know, than the first one. So, um, you know, I think it just I think with this third one, it's 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 going to be a, a an interesting, I don't know, fight to get back to what they originally wanted. But I mean, who knows? But I don't I don't, I don't think it's great to hear that like. <laughs> like that uh mark hamill's like all right fine i'll come back and do like two days w- worth of work as a forest ghost. <laughs> just just let me do let me be done with this please yeah please yeah <laughs> like that's not a good sign i brought that up i just wanted to hear josh's take on it good stuff good stuff yeah. all right boys uh for my number two yeah um are either of you familiar with the show on netflix bojack horseman yes Cool. Josh, have you seen any of those episodes? I haven't seen it. I know that it exists. Okay. So either way, it's really good. Um, you know, it stars it stars Will Arnett as the lead character. Um, and it's got Allison Bree and uh, Amy Sedaris and just a bunch of amazing vocal actors. Well, I I finally started get catching up on it um and started watching last season's, but I came across an episode. It's called The Old uh, Sugar Sugarman Place. That's the name of the title of the episode. But it it is such a I guess you could say it's a brilliant half hour of animation. And it I very rarely, I don't think this has ever happened, where I found myself actually crying to an animated sitcom about a half-man, half-horse hybrid <laughs> with all these ridiculous characters and things like that. But it is a truly, like, 
you watch this episode and from an artistic level, your mouth is just wide open with what you're watching and not in terms of not only just from the, the, the storyline and the pacing of it, but also the, the voice acting in it, you know, Jane Krakowski, Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, Matthew Broderick is in it, just to name a few, um, is just off the charts. Amazing. So it just got me thinking about how, you know, obviously with animation, especially shows like the Simpsons um, and South Park, even though South Park's kind of delved into different areas in the past where we're, we're almost predisposed to always feel that it's going to be like, you know, funny, funny and you know, things like that. We can't really take it seriously, but um, it made me think about how great a time we're living in when it comes to animation, where shows like these can truly kind of roll the dice genre-wise in a way and uh it just it just is really really remarkable episode and i wanted to kind of get both your thoughts on you know animation and, and have you ever felt that way watching an animated show or, or movie or something like that i mean i know at pixar they do that you know regularly but with the animated tv shows specifically if you've ever seen something other you know that you're just like holy shit that was great forget yeah. the fact of the animation that was just great yeah. yeah you know what chris and i i think it speaks like what you're talking about is like speaking about shows that are on air right now that break format you know what i mean mm, that mm-hmm. go against the grain of like episodic tv like we've talked about that episode of barry <laughs> um I, I forget the name of the episode something I is it's, a oh god lily i think it is or something like that yeah or? yeah it's, it's her name and um and like you know like the, i love that episode because it just it took you back. It just it made you go, oh my god! It's just this crazy thing. Wait, is it Berkman Block or oh my Ronnie Lilly? That's the name. Ronnie Lilly. Thank Sorry, you. Sorry, I had to look it up. Ronnie Lilly's name of the episode, and it shows like Barry and Atlanta that are ballsy enough to go against their own format and do something iconic. And it's so hard right now in this day and age to break through. I think that's what you're talking about, not just mm-hmm. with animation, mm-hmm. just with everything. And I just love when something like that happens. Josh, what about you? I'm, well, you, you, you know I'm so far behind on basically everything that I'm supposed to be watching. Uh, we got little rec- kids, yeah. Recommendations that you, uh, that you give to me. So you know, when, it's, when it's animation, I have to find the, you guys brought up uh, Pixar. That's really the place where, I find myself moved beyond, you know, uh, uh, your typical uh, animation. I still actually can't watch uh, Inside Out uh, without becoming a complete, you know, mess because mm. my daughter's ten, and we're going through a lot of the uh, the Riley stuff uh, with uh, with Tilly um, right now. Um, you know, when I took the girls uh, to uh, to see Coco for the for the first time. Um, in the last scene of the movie, I cried and I couldn't stop crying, you know, mm. and, and when, when he's singing and his, his dead family's there and, and, uh, it, it's all of it comes back, you know, all of the, uh, you know, the feelings about my own family come back and everything. And, and I got to thinking about, you know, what it means for, for representation of Chicano characters and what that movie must mean. And, and, and like, I cried all the way home driving back from, from Henrietta, uh, from the, from the theater. So, you know, that's where I, you know, I think that at least from what I, what I'm able to watch, what I'm able to, to digest or ingest that um, it's sort of boundary breaking, although it's become with Pixar, it's become an expectation that what 
you know, whatever you're going to see is going to be something uh, fantastic, you know, and, and yeah, uh, I downloaded uh, uh, Sean Fennessy's uh, Big Picture podcast from the other day. I haven't listened to it yet because I haven't seen Toy Story 4. Um, but, you know, already in the title of it, they're calling this a, a masterpiece. And yeah, I, I, I'm going to see it this weekend with the kid just so I can yeah, record I on it. Me too on, on Saturday. Um, but like for Sean Fennessy to say that, and I don't know if you guys listen to his podcast, that's, that is high praise. Yeah, because he's pretty sin- he's pretty cynical about a lot yeah. of things. <laughs> uh, like very much so. Um, and the only other thing I could say is, you know, I, I when you were guys were talking about the, you know, genre bending and things like that, I I thought of the two episodes of South Park, the one that was uh, like Japanese anime, and then there was another there was another one that was um, uh, where they basically recreated heavy metal. You know, the, yeah. the kids like were tripping from getting cat piss sprayed into their face, and uh, <laughs> at the time, it, it, you know, right now, as I'm looking back at it, it's like, oh, it's just funny. At the time, it's like, holy shit, I can't believe they did an entire episode of this, it's like heavy metal, this random movie from 1982. And that's a good point. I mean, I remember I, I will put up. I think it was a couple. I think it was like two, two or two seasons ago where um, they did that whole overlapping season with you know being pc and the whole foods coming in and all that stuff i will put that season of television up against any television show of any genre period oh, one of the best God. seasons of tv period and it just again it transcends animation it's it's all about storytelling at that point and oh, sure. um, just breathtaking breathtaking so good stuff good stuff all right josh what's your number three for this week Oh, I've got so many options. What do I want to give you? Guys? <laughs> um, all right. Well, we'll go with this because I said I'd start with books. We'll 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 finish up that way. Do you Excellent. guys know who Michael? Do you guys know who Michael Lewis is? No, no. Oh, fantastic! All right, I love it. So, Mike, you do know who Michael Lewis is, even if you don't, if, even if you didn't recognize the name. Ooh, okay. Uh, so Michael Lewis just put out a book. Uh, the middle of this year or beginning of this year uh called the fifth risk which is actually about um the dangers that the trump administration has put us into because they're not appointing people into positions in the different administrative agencies of the government um and it's it's a frightening book uh it's a very very quick read it's 250 pages long um, I would highly, highly recommend it. It's very political in a way that this guy doesn't normally get political. And I say that because you know the other books that, he, that he's written. He wrote Moneyball. He wrote oh. Oh, The wow. Blind Side. Oh. He, wrote, he wrote The Big Short. Um, he wrote a book called Flash Boys a couple years ago, which was about uh, high-frequency trading. Um, and if you've never read a book by Michael Lewis before, I... I Moneyball is the one I would start with for you guys because you're big baseball fans. I know both oh, yeah. of you guys are baseball fans and are very familiar with the concept of Moneyball. Um, the movie is amazing. Um, but he has a way of writing, of making um, uh, otherwise complex concepts very readable and very simple. I mean... Uh, the Big Short, the book, is about 
um, you know, these collateral debt obligations that were created by financial firms. Um, both of you guys have seen the movie, though, right? Of course. Of course, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it, it, the combination of, of Michael Lewis writing that book and then Adam McKay making that movie, it's one of the, like, I, I put it up there as one of the best movies of the decade. Um, it's really, really good, and it's really rewatchable. But at the end of the day, it's about, like, the financial market. Um, and so I, I, I bring this up. Um, because I don't know if there's a better writer right now whose works are being adapted uh, for the screen. I don't know if The Fifth Rift or Flash Boys will be made into a movie. Um, are there any authors that you guys really love that um, whose works uh, are maybe in the, in the process of being adapted, um, have been adapted, that you've really liked? I mean, obviously there's guys like Stephen King out there, um, Ben. I know you're reading. You're, you've finally delved into uh, Game of Thrones, uh, the uh, Song of Ice and Fire. So, are those writers? Are there those writers out there who, if you know their work is being adapted, you know you can't wait to see what they're going to do with it. Ooh, that's a good. That's a good one. Uh, I gotta think. Um... Like right, like right now, Josh. I'm reading so many books about movies and musicians right like i i've told you like my sister got me a great book on the coen brothers and and then i apparently my sister wants me to read because she gave me the book on the bc boys um but what would be really interesting is to because both of those books that i have are almost narrative based it's not just like facts it's not just like the album was put out here and this is this song and the song runs from two minutes, 36 seconds. It's not like a technical book. It's all these many stories. The, what would be cool for me is to actually have, you know, a movie that is about a real person that takes place in snapshots because we've had like, you know, based on the true story movies that are on lifetime movie network. Now, listen, I love, movie network you know movie lifetime <laughs> lifetime movie network i love it so much uh don't get me wrong um but i would love to see like books like that that are really based on real life just like you were saying told in snapshot form in these little series of events like where kind of vice kind of went short you know fell short in the last year it, it, i feel, i got a sense that that's what they were trying to do with that maybe and i finally saw that after we talked about it josh and i was like yeah okay i, I can see where yeah, this you, is like whatever you, but i, I, I would love to see feeling about it that i had right and i i would love to see you know of course you know you have these um link later movies that are just these movies that take place in snapshots Famously, like his first movie, the um, Slacker. You know what I mean? Yeah. That you get these snapshots of real life. I would love to see a Beastie Boys movie about the Beastie Boys, where you don't see them perform at all, and it's just these little stories that they told in the book. I would love to see that put to screen, and you would get the snapshot of who MCA really was, or who, like, what it was really like to live in the late seventies as a teenager in New York city, you know what I mean? I would love to see that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a big fan of, um, you know, Philip K. Dick. Um, oh, yeah. oh, I mean, yeah. scanner darkly is one of my favorite movies, uh, 
of the past you know 25 years um love the man in high castle by the way if you haven't if anybody out there hasn't mm-hmm. seen it yet it's fantastic amazing yep. so yeah like he's someone that like anytime i hear like oh yeah we're kind of adapting you know and you know whether it's a novella or an idea like i would love to see like the defender someday or something like that but like um what's he's the, one of them what's the book chris what's the book by him maybe josh knows where all the guys are trapped in a room together oh um and they're telling messed up stories <laughs> do you know what i'm talking about I do God. not know this one. Oh, oh I no! I don't. <laughs> I stumped you guys. Damn it! All right. Us. All right, there's one story that I would love to see. That one. There's like one that I actually read like years ago, and it, it's really twisted. I would love to see someone try to do that. Like, there's something like there's some hostage scenario. Everyone's trapped in a room, and they start telling all these weird stories. You don't know if they're true or if they're trying to confess something before they die. I would love to see that, and that's definitely Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. But yeah, right now, like, uh, I think a current author is Kevin Kwan who did crazy rich Asians. Um, you know, he's, he's got a couple other books out there. I think like crazy rich girlfriend or just crazy rich, you know, I can't remember the titles, but, um, really love, really love his stuff, uh, as well. So yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there was this craze back in like the eighties, I think Stephen King and, and obviously, um, uh, Michael Crichton led the charge of like, we got to make this into a movie and blah, blah, blah. Um, and you've kind of seen at least that fall back a little bit in terms of like these high profile books being made into movies, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I always love it. I think it's great. Yeah. I, I mean, there was a, there was even a period just a few years ago where uh, a lot of Cormac McCarthy's works were either being made into movies or were optioned. Um, uh, famously, No Country for Old Men, which is mm. an amazing book um, and a great movie. Uh, and it's a, it's unbelievable how well they adapted that one for the for the screen. Um, they did, uh, I think, The Road. The Road was also done uh, with uh, Viggo Mortensen. Great screenplay, uh, by the way. Great. I've actually read parts of that screenplay while watching the movie. That's fantastic. But, with Deacon being the age that he is, I would challenge you to get all the way through the book of the road without like never letting him out of your sight again. Uh, no, we already watched the movie last week. Okay, oh, oh, good. <laughs> that, that's good. Did, and he didn't. Did he, did he say anything at the end afterwards? Did he just? Yeah. I well, he was shaking a bunch, and then I just, uh, you know, <laughs> dosed him up and then put him to sleep or something. Don't, don't worry, Deacon. When it all comes. I'll, I won't use the bullet on myself. I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, Ben, what did you got for your number three, my man? My number three is um, <laughs> let's switch up to uh, film land. Let's talk about uh, the Wachowski brothers are reportedly set to direct the new Matrix movie with Michael B. Jordan. Just want to get your take on everything. Let's start with you, Chris. Um, and this was. Uh, Warner Brothers, um, John Wick director Chad um, Solowski said that the Matrix revival was moving forward with Warner Brothers and the Wachowskis. Said that I'm super happy with the Wachowskis are not just doing a Matrix, but they're expanding what we all loved. If it's anywhere near the level of what they've already done, it wouldn't take more to 
Then a call to go, hey, we want to be your stunt guy, and we probably go crazy. So what do you think about the Wachowskis set to direct and Michael B. Jordan set to star in something uh, geared towards the Matrix? Chris, what do you think? Well, I wish this was a video show for this moment because what as you were describing this, I've got my head in my hands and I'm just shaking it left to right. <laughs> um, here's the thing. Is this is this like like when we talked about Aladdin being directed by <laughs> Guy Ritchie and starring <laughs> Will Smith? Right. Here's the thing, I don't the the Wachowskis have they've they've lost my trust as filmmakers and storytellers. They just have. They've it it's they, I've given them plenty of opportunities. You know, it's like okay, Speed Racer, you've already got a pre-existing character and storyline. How can you screw this up? They did. Uh, then, then they made two back-to-back movies, which I, I honestly couldn't tell you what either one are about. There is that one where Shannon Tatum's like a half a dog, and oh yeah, I saw yeah, I Neil saw yeah. And then there's the other one with Tom Hanks and Halle Berry, Oof. and it plays with time. And it's like they just they've lost my trust. And I've I you know, I said this I think I said this on this podcast, but I've I've started to feel there's there are certain directors out there that you know, are getting that are held in reverence because of one project. But when we look at the rest of their career, that one project was more of an anomaly than the rest of their career. And, you know, nothing against the man, but like Peter Jackson's one of those where it's like, you've got Lord of the Rings, but then when you look at everything else he's done before or since, it doesn't even come close to the, uh, the, the all right, quality. Chris, now, all, here's, right, <laughs> all right. All right. Chris, hot take. I know you right there. You <laughs> All right. Listen, you could have picked any other director. You had to pick Peter Jackson. The star, the the director of Dead Alive, <laughs> Bad Taste, Bad Taste, and Meet the Feebles. Years. Oh, oh I'm sorry. And then he made a little film called Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry, but go <laughs> ahead. What were you saying? <laughs> and then you look at what he's done afterwards. It's like okay, like King Kong, and you know the the, the hit, what I don't know that movie that just Mortal Engines that just came out. I don't know. Hey, but anyway, listen, but he also did the War, <laughs> World War One documentary that we just fucking talked about. That, hey, all right, that's I'm true. Well, he, you know, he he did um, he did the Lovely Bones. He also directed. Oh, that, I forgot that. about the Lovely Bones. Yeah. Anyway, you're absolutely wrong. Was, pick another director. Yeah. All right, edit this out and pick another director. That, that was a movie I was so excited for because I loved the book and I loved the director, and it was like, how could you screw that up? Right. And he did. Yep. He did. But anyway, um, yeah. No, I just I I don't. I'm fine with the Matrix. Um, I'm fine with them expanding upon it if you can, I guess, because you kind of brought the thing to a close of the third one uh, in a really terrible way. Um, but <laughs> I just don't want the Warshawskis associated with it at all. Like, put their name on it, like original characters created by or whatever it is, but like, don't let them make it. Like, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally with you on that one. Uh, I, I'll disagree with you on the last take, but I'll agree with you on this take um, because. I remember like being a giant matrix head, like especially uh, even after the second movie came out and they came out with the animatrix. Remember that? Oh and yeah. The, the, those little anime things that expanded on the universe. I'm like, Whoa, this is kind of cool. They took this idea and you got to see how the, the rise of the machines, almost like a cybernet kind of thing. And I was like, but it's a little different. And I love the kind of takes on it. So it is a universe that we can expand upon. That is something that e- even you, Chris, you said that you love kind of post apocalyptic kind of scenarios things. Oh yeah. Um, I, I get it, but yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that one. What do you think, Josh? So I, I'm not looking forward to this. Um, 
I'm I'm a, a little bit mad at Michael B. Jordan right now, um, which I never thought I would ever say those words. I know. I hated Creed too. Like me too. Hated. Um, and I like him, but he's Wallace. I mean, he'll forever he'll forever mm. be Wallace. Um, and, and like I I know that there's greatness in the Wachowskis because uh, they made you know I love the first Matrix, and uh, they also made Bound. Which nobody ever remembers, uh, but I'll have love that movie. I will have a crush on, I believe it's Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon until the day that I die. Um, yeah, I'm still I searching love, for them in real life. I That's fine. love Gina Gershon. Um, I actually, I loved the Animatrix, um, and I, man, I don't know if you and I knew each other yet when those movies were coming out, and I don't think they did. Um, the Animatrix was really good. And if you guys never got to see it, there was a, uh, a video game that came out that went along with the, the second film. Um, oh, yeah. The uh, Enter the Matrix. And it was on mm-hmm. PlayStation 2. And oh, I played like, that. I totally played that. Great game. Great game. That game was outstanding. And it dovetailed really well into the, um, into the second movie. I actually, the, the second movie has really great set pieces in it and everything and it's you know it if they just locked off about half an hour at the end of it um that movie would have been would have been great you know and as it was it was just kind of it it was good um but it's a a ship that sails i mean i i I don't i'm not ready to go back to it um and and chris just so you know it's atlas rising and jupiter ascending are the two Movies that you, you don't need to watch them. Uh, <laughs> Even when you said those words, I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's what that's what those are." Yeah, I mean, hey, uh, and I just thought, you know, uh, Ben and I were talking about this this past weekend, or maybe it was it was you guys on the cast. Like, Tom Hanks has made some bad decisions, uh, other than other than playing Woody uh, the, these last few uh, these last few years. Uh, whether it was being in Jupiter Ascending or whether it was, uh, you know, the post. Um, or the Angels know. and Demons. Yeah. Well, did, did you guys see the post? Yeah. Did. Terrible. Okay. So, you know, he, he's, he's taking up the mantle of uh, Ben Bradley, who is played by Jason Robards uh, in All the President's Men, um, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. You know, talk about a, another, like, top ten movie for me. Yeah. That, but like, you know, he could take that character and just, yeah, just kind of suck the, suck the life out of it, um, which is unfortunate because I really do like Tom Hanks quite a bit. And I like the theme of that movie, like filling in the gaps of President's Men. I, I, I thought it was a great idea. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Or, or puts them in a position, it, it, you know, it's kind of. Uh, putting them in a position where they'd be able to take the Watergate investigation and, uh, and run with it. But like, who did, who, you know, if somebody were to come to you and say, we're going to have this movie and it's going to be directed by Steven Spielberg and it's going to have Meryl Streep in it and it's going to have Tom Hanks in it. You, you know, you, I couldn't hand over my money fast enough for it. And it, it's the kind of movie I'll fall asleep to now on uh, yeah. when it's on HBO. You know, it's funny. I, there are times where these directors, you'll hear about these, you know, ideas that they have or they're planning to do another sequel. And for some of them, I'm like, that's awesome. You should not be involved with this at all. Um, like, 
the second that M Night Shyamalan made um, that split, the movie split, Oof. and at the end he did that tease of like Bruce Willis being in the same universe. Like so, you got so split. We had no idea was it's the sequel to Unbreakable, and they were going to make you know Glass. I'm like, amazing, great job, M Night. You should not do Glass. Give it to yeah. better. Give it to better writers. Like, <laughs> let someone else take the take the reins. Um, please, and and sure enough, like he screwed the whole thing up. Like, and yep. does so. It's just it kills me because I love and even like I love the first Matrix movie, and I was like, hell yeah. And then like the second and third one came out, and I'm like, am I just dumb? Like, am I, is this movie smarter than me? Like, am I am I just not? Am I just dumb? Like, the answer is no. <laughs> No, no, the movie is. You're not dumb. Movie is. <laughs> You're a smart very, guy. Yeah. Movies are very dumb. I'm very dumb. You are. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So for my number three this week. Yes, sir. Uh, do it. Guys, I don't know if you knew this. This year is the 35th anniversary of Purple Rain. Oh, oh shit. Yeah. I didn't know that. So I thought you were going to say something like iconic, like, you know, John Farrell's a lobster fisherman or something. <laughs> okay, now. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love Purple Rain. I love that movie. So, oh no. So the the movie, the album. I mean, it's it's the 35th annual. <laughs> Did I break you up? I'm sorry. You up. Oh man, now you got me. Um, because now that song's in my head. Um, so the the interesting thing about Purple Rain is. And, and Prince as a whole, obviously sad that he's gone, is what's interesting. Anytime I have these conversations with people about like the greatest musicians of the 20th century, like everybody's like the Beatles, Madonna, like Michael Jackson, blah, blah, blah. I'm always the one that drops Prince into the conversation. Everyone, And as soon as I do, everyone's like, oh, shit, you're right. Like, oh, man, Prince, wasn't he great? And well, it just kills me because it's like, should that should Prince be an afterthought in the, in these discussions? Ben, your thoughts. Okay. So when you think about artists like longevity and think of iconic artists, Prince did not have a good 90s with the whole symbol thing. Uh, I mean, I could sing you two or three songs off of Diamonds and Pearls and that album in the, (laughs) I mean, because it was my highlight of my lifetime watching a ton of MTV at that point. But, (laughs) you know, there were some artists that got killed by the eighties. They get, they really did. Like when the eighties started 1980, 81, 82, purple rain, it was still rock and roll. And we kind of de-evolved into, the synth pop kind of error era. And so I, I think that kills Prince's longevity. That is it. That's all I'm going to say. He kind of came back at the end and my God, I wish he starred as himself in that Dave Chappelle sketch, because when you hear interviews with Dave Chappelle, he still <laughs> talks about how he was talking to Prince at the time. And he almost starred as himself as Prince in the Prince Charlie oh Murphy. God. Could you imagine that his, oh my God, could you imagine that? And like, and Prince actually said to him, I wish I said yes to you, but uh, the, the, sorry. Anyway, to break it back down to it, uh, Chris, I think the nineties killed his longevity. That's a good point. That's a good point. Josh, what do you think? Uh, I love Prince. Um, I can actually, you know, even for that, for that nineties period. And Ben, I know what you're, I know what you're talking about. Um, Yeah. 
I can actually trace the moment of uh, where puberty kicked in for me, uh, being at the 1991 MTV Video Music Awards when they performed Get Off. Uh, yeah. The new power generation. And he basically had an orgy on the stage uh, <laughs> while, he was, uh, while he was playing. Uh, the 11-year-old, or I guess that was probably 12 or 13, 12 or 13-year-old Josh Sonner, that was the best thing I had ever Ever. Um, and and the thing with him becoming the symbol and um, he was always you know it was sort of oh, this is going to sound bad but like you know weirdly artistic or artistically weird like he just kind of was that was his his thing um, but I remember starting to reappreciate him when I was in college going back and and listening to um, you know, Purple Rain soundtrack, um, listening to, you know, when you could start to get like bootleg tapes of his and, and things like that. Um, and you also started hearing from other musicians when they would ask, you know, who's the best, you know, who's the best musician in the, in the world? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's Prince. He does everything else. Oh, okay. Or he does everything. He's, you know, great to record with and everything else. Okay. Well, who's the best guitar player in the world? Oh, well, that, that's also Prince. You've never seen him really play guitar, but, you know, trust us, he's the best guitar player you've ever seen. And, and Ben and I, when we're, you know, uh, drinking bourbon, as we're wont to do, and heading down do. The, YouTube, the YouTube wormhole, um, inevitably ends up coming back to that, that performance of the rock and, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the George Harrison tribute, um, where I... I I can't remember if you sent it to me or I sent it to you, uh, but the title of the video or the title of the link was Prince Dunks on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, and it's, it's just, he's, he's a legend. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. It's just an excuse to talk about that video one more time. No, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts? Well, I just, I, it, it just, for me, it's like, I don't know. Prince has always been an afterthought. And Ben, I think you do have a good point. I mean, I think when he, that, that whole symbol thing happened and, you know, he put out a couple of duds in the early nineties. Um, definitely. You're right. I think it hurt his, his longevity, but you know, the movie that he, uh, not movie, the album that he did, I think it's called musicology is it, it was like return to form in a way. I was like, right. Holy that God. was a yeah. great one. And there's a couple of hits off that one. That was a yeah. great album. It's like, oh, there's the guy. There's the guy. And I think, yep. I think, I mean, this. It's funny. I just watched uh, the, the movie Walk Hard the other day, which is freaking phenomenal, by the way. Um, and there's that scene where like Dewey Cox kind of gets in his own head and his ego gets out of control. He starts doing this really, you know, stupid music. So I kind of call that the symbol period for Prince, where it's like he kind of got in his own head of like I'm Prince. I can do whatever I want. Um, you know, type of thing. And uh, that I think it just it led to a couple of mistakes there, but yeah, I think you know I remember watching that performance that tribute to George Harrison, and um, you know one of the most legendary concert stories I heard from a friend was, you know he was in New York City, I think it was in the Bronx or something like that, and they're at this club, and they're just watching a couple acts perform, and then out of nowhere Prince gets up on stage, like he just happens to be in the club, and he's like, can I just play a couple of songs? And everybody's like, holy shit, you're Prince, do whatever you, the hell you want. <laughs> and as, as he's playing, 
something malfunctions in the system uh, in the power system and the lights go out basically like the, a lot of the stage lights and all they all the the only lights that are visible like those emergency you know floodlights that are in the club and everybody expects oh shit that's it that's it and prince gets on the mic he's like do you guys mind if we just play in the dark <laughs> and they just kept playing so like um it, it just Dude, that, that was no malfunction that was prince's sexiness <laughs> that was magic, baby. Oh, and fuses left and right. So, yeah, no, it's just, I just, I always, it's just always funny to me when, whenever we talk about the most impactful, influential uh, megastars of, of, you know, the latter part of the 20th century. Um, and, you know, whenever I drop Prince in the conversation, it's always like, oh, yeah, you're right. Holy shit. Um, and I just, you know, it's like, wow, it's, it's crazy to think that, yeah, that he's not, you know, an immediate thought, so to speak. But, um, there you go. There you go. All right, gentlemen, it's time to move on to our favorite, I guess you could call segment. Let's go YouTubing, guys. Let's go, go the YouTubing down the oh, river. Yeah, internet. Yeah, baby. So Josh, kick us off, man. What is What did you see on, on YouTube this week? What's on your wormhole? All right. So um, I'm in like a – I'm in a rut right now for uh, club soccer. Um you guys were kind of talking about it the other day. Uh, there's the uh, the Women's World Cup's going on right now. I've been trying to watch as much of it as I can. Um, I've watched the, the Gold Cup is going on right now, um, the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Um, but I'm a, I'm a Liverpool junkie. Yeah! I need uh, English soccer. And we don't start back up again until August. So... You know, I'll go on and just try to find whatever uh, soccer highlights that I that I can. Um, I stumbled across uh, a deep dive on SB Nation, which I know Ben loves. Uh, you guys have talked about it on the podcast. Love that before. channel. Love it. Um, so they have a group of videos called Rewinder, um, and I don't know if you guys have seen any of them before. I would highly recommend all of them except for the Aaron Boone home run. Uh, which I made the mistake of watching not too long ago. Uh, I watched I watched that one because I'm a glutton for punishment and a fan of the segment. So yeah, yeah me too. There, you know what though? There's one on the Buckner error, and I cannot bring myself to even go near that. Oh, one. I haven't watched that one. No, I haven't watched. That. Mm. So all of these are really great, um, but there's a really good one on. Uh, the end of, and I believe it's the 2014 Premier, 2012 Premier League season, excuse me, um, when Man City and Man U, who I both despise, um, and for those of you at home who don't follow, follow English soccer, this is Manchester City and Manchester United, crosstown rivals. Um, they went into the final day of the season, uh, basically with both of them a chance to win the EPL, and Man City hadn't won... It wasn't even the EPL back then. It was the, it was the FA uh, since like the 50s, I want to say, maybe the 60s. They hadn't won in 40 years. Um, and they would always like trip all over their dicks when it would come to like the end of the, end of the year. And they were doing that. They were losing. Uh, when they needed to basically tire or win by a goal against QPR, Queen Park Rangers, who is not in the Premier League anymore, um, and who were losing to them despite being a man up. They had a guy sent off, um, and within the span of, I believe it was like 13 minutes of actual running time, 
uh, came back to beat QPR and win the win the league on a Sergio Aguero goal. And you know, maybe you guys have seen video of it before. It's it's fucking unbelievable when it happened. When you watch it now, like the highlights are still unbelievable. And SB Nation did a great rewinder on it. So I would highly recommend it. It's called uh, the greatest uh, Premier League season ender or greatest Premier League finish uh, deserves a, a deep rewind. Uh, so I would uh, I would recommend that. Uh, that's really all I got right now. I should be watching more YouTube. I'm stuck in fucking Alabama. <laughs> Do they have that there? <laughs> they, they've, got, they've, got, they've got YouTube. Sure. Oh, all, right. all right, all right. You know, it's funny. Funny story about that Aaron Boone thing. Um, when that happened, I was an RA on duty that night in Perry Hall uh, in Elmira College, and I was watching it with a couple of my Boston friends. And the second that that happened, first of all, I had a bad feeling about that situation. Regardless, I was like, I don't like Wakefield right now in this. But anyway, um, as soon as he hit the ball, saw it go over the fence. I could hear that like, you know, people are going nuts in the hallway and like Yankee fans and whatnot. And I looked out on my watch. I'm like, Oh, it's like, it's like 1237 at night. It's, it's past quiet hours. So I, as a disgruntled Red Sox fan, I got up and I walked around all four floors of this dorm and I wrote up every single pro Yankees party for (laughs) with my Red Sox. I I had a Red Sox hat on a David Ortiz Jersey. I'm just writing people up left or right. The people are like, you're just doing this because you're a Red Sox fan. I'm like, look, if we had won, I would have celebrated quietly because I respect right. <laughs> You're not allowed to rent That's here so anymore. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Good stuff. Good stuff. And by the way, um, I, I am also a Liverpool fan as well. Steven Gerrard. Oh, Gerrard is a guy. So the there, there you we go. Are, we are huge Mohamed Salah fans at our house now. Um, but I was a, a Stevie G was what got me into uh, into Liverpool, and then and then when uh, when the uh, Roush Fenway fought mm. Liverpool, I was like, this is it's finally happened. This is the <laughs> melting of my world. If only Tom Henry could buy the Eagles now, I would be in my glory. Nice, excellent, excellent, Ben. Actually, you know what? Real quick, because Ben, you usually have a couple of good ones. I'm gonna, I, I just have one this week, real quick. All right. All right. Um, do yourselves, if, if you're looking for a good laugh, let's say you're having a bad day or someone pisses you off during the day and you just want to like, and you can't, you can't swear at them, you can't punch them in the face, you just, you just feel angry towards people, go on YouTube and in the search bar, just look up instant karma videos and you will get your sense of revenge, justification, even though you're watching other things. So these, there are people out there that these are compilation videos of people getting instant karma served to them. So it's like, you know, you're on, it's a video of someone like on the road, passing you by and giving you the finger. And then they immediately like get into a fender bender or um, <laughs> you know, a guy walking across the street, gives you the finger and then he runs into the telephone pole or something like that. So <laughs> it's just instant karma. And it's just, it just makes you feel better about life. So do yourselves a favor. Watch. I, I, I had a couple of situations this week where I got really frustrated with things and I was just like, ah, oh, I gotta, I gotta just watch them to get, get this aggression out towards something or like, you know, feel good about other people suffering in a way. And watching instant karma videos is a, an amazing way to do it. So definitely check those out on YouTube. There you go. Ben, awesome. what do you got my man? All right. So got a couple, got a couple deep dives right here. All right. Um, so there's this, uh, channel called consequence of sound and he goes into 
how songs are made and how um, soundtracks are made. And a really cool video is called The Scariest Scene in Dawn of the Dead Doesn't Have a Single um, Song in It. So um, it doesn't have a single zombie. So one of my favorite movies of all time is 1978's Dawn of the Dead. He And he talks about how the absence of a soundtrack actually increases fear, increases drama in a movie. Great little video, great little awesome kind of geeky. If you're an editor, if you've ever edited anything or made movies, it's a, such a great kind of thing to study, like when there's an absence of a soundtrack. Um, and then the next one is, of course, um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Happy Gilmore. And on YouTube, you can check out some uh, deleted scenes from Happy Gilmore. And Joe Flaherty, I believe his name is, from SCTV, the guy that says, Happy Gilmore, you're a jackass. There's a lot more of him in the movie. And it's about five more minutes of the final shootout between him and Shooter. Check it out. It's kind of like seeing, like, you know, of course, like the greatest film of all time, you know, with deleted scenes. It's like seeing, you know, an extra Rosebud scene because, you know, Happy Gilmore is the greatest film of all time. And so there you go. It's like the uh, it's like the Godfather saga when they took all those uh, deleted scenes from it. And yeah, uh, exactly. De Niro playing like <laughs> Marlon Brando, right? <laughs> Excellent, good stuff. Wow, great week, great week of stories, guys. This was really good. I, I guess I can't thank you guys enough um, for for letting me on, but but also for doing the podcast. Um, I love listening to it every week. I look forward to, uh, you know, I, I'm a subscriber, um, so I look forward to uh, to it coming into my uh, to to the podcast downloader and everything. Um, I hope more people are are out there, um, you know, checking this out for the first time. Uh, and, and or or you know, what episode is this for you guys? Is this eighteen? I think it's eighteen. Yeah, crazy. Oh my god. Yeah, you guys, I, I want you guys got to keep it going. This is uh, it's a it's a great podcast. It's a lot of fun. Um, you guys know your shit. So uh, thanks, thank JT. You. You're thank the you, best. Sir. And and we'll definitely have you on again. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate that. Definitely, Ben. Anything else? Actually, Josh, let me start with you. If folks want to find you on social media. Uh, where can they find you? Do you have anything coming up that you want to plug? I mean, any cases that are coming up in court that you want to say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, not, not really. I'll put it. I'll put in a plug uh, for the. Uh, um, I'm actually down here uh, training with the um, the U.S. Secret Service at the uh, Computer Forensic Training Institute, and it's really great. Um, they do great work with helping. Uh, people who are victims of cybercrime. Um, so I, I'll, I'll throw in a quick plug uh, for them. Um, don't come see me in court. Uh, <laughs> I have no interesting cases uh, coming up. Uh, I will put, uh, you know what, the other thing I'll put in a plug for, though, is uh, my my daughter, uh, Matilda, is in the, uh, the spring play, or the summer play again this year at the... Uh, the uh, Avon Central School District, they put on a really great theater program for kids from third grade all the way up to um, rising freshmen in college. Um, oh, wow. Um, 
Last year they did uh, Susical, um, Susical the Musical, which was really great. Um, they are doing uh, Tarzan this year, Ooh. Uh, based on the uh, the works of one uh, Phil Collins. And... Collins, <laughs> number one, baby, number one. Phil Collins is number one. Um, <laughs> So please, if you're in the Avon area, I believe it's the second to last weekend uh, in July, uh, come see Matilda, come see her friends, uh, come listen uh, to the masterwork of Phil Collins uh, and, uh, and see Tarzan. You know, it's funny. I've had, I've had his song, Easy Lover, stuck in my head for the past like week and a half. It just gets in there, dude. It just get, 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 kind of get it out. Oh, my God. Ben, anything <laughs> plug anything going on you want to tell us about Jeez. well i just had an awesome gig with my band uh the little blue castle band we're on uh youtube and uh we're going to upload the gig that we did on thursday this is one of the most talented creative people we uh, i've ever played with um all of them singers can play every instrument kind of like paul mccartney types they're just crazy and uh great gig and we're gonna have more gigs coming up but um one of my bandmates actually asked me if I want to do sets and props on Aladdin Jr. coming up in the fall. So I'll be doing that regionally, too. So I can't wait to get back into the theater swing. Whoa. Very nice. <laughs> well, folks, you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on the Onstage Blog Network at onstageblog.com. And you can also find us on uh, I shouldn't say, I was about to say iTunes, but Apple Podcasts. I have to start getting the rhythm of that. Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and now TuneIn for you Android listeners out there is now on TuneIn. So uh, we are all over the place on that end. We've got new podcasts coming out all summer long, new episodes. Um, basically, we're at the point where a new podcast is basically coming out every single day on the network right now, which is unbelievable. It's what I always wanted to have happen, and now it's happening, which is crazy. So And like us on Facebook, dude. Please, yes, like us on Facebook. We're going to post all the videos that we talked about on there, uh, episodes. Also, just some random articles throughout the week that you know are interesting as well. Ben, you posted something a couple of days ago that was really good. Um, I have to, I'd have to go back and look at it, but I was like, oh, that's cool. So, yeah, um, I like to do like little like kind of trailers of stuff that's coming out that wouldn't kind of be interesting on the podcast, but it's kind of stuff that we need to see to get into the mindset of everything. You know what I mean? Definitely. Definitely. So, all right, folks. Well, that's going to do it from us. Josh, thank you again, man. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Chris. Anytime, anytime. All right, folks. We'll see you right here next week on Desperately Sinking Entertainment. Ben, later, man. Peace.
Thank you.